Welcome to the Bulgarian History Podcast, episode 149, Unification. First, as always, thanks to our newest patrons. We've got Bramya and our newest PayPal supporter, Graham Roberts. Big thank you to both of you and a reminder to everyone else that for just as little as a dollar an episode, you can get access to some special content, access to all the transcripts of all these episodes, and best of all, my eternal gratitude. So consider that and other updates. The book is taking a bit longer than I thought, mostly because you know, everyone who's been through this will be shocked. Renovations of our apartment in Sofia are taking forever and have gotten extremely expensive and very stressful because turns out living in like what most of my family described as looking like a bomb site is not very conducive to being productive. So we're just struggling to survive here and get through all of this. And we'll see when I have the mental capacity to finish up the last few things in the book I need to do. But hopefully in the spring, we will see. And for now, let's get into it. Last time, we saw Petko Karavelov and his breakaway wing of the Liberal Party win elections and take over governing Bulgaria, replacing Tsankov. The new government canceled the previously approved constitutional changes, so that went nowhere, but it also went about resolving many of the long-running political issues like railways, banking reforms, and debt payments to Russia. But while politics in Sofia finally kind of quieted down after years of turmoil, calls for unification with Macedonia and Eastern Rumelia heated up. Several new organizations were founded to advocate for the unification of all Bulgarians under one state. The Macedonian Voice organization sent a Cheta into Ottoman-controlled Macedonia, but it was defeated. Now with this failure, organizations turned to focus on Eastern Rumelia first. However, both Prince Battenberg and Prime Minister Karavelov were very wary of unification right at this moment, mostly because of the strong Russian opposition. However, in early September 1885, events began to move far more quickly than either man had anticipated. And that's where we find ourselves today. Although the BSCRC planned for an uprising in favor of unification to begin about September the 15th, people began to demonstrate, gather, and declare unification on September 2nd. Now, Everyone stop if this, stop me if this sounds familiar. So everything is moving quicker than even the people planning things were planning. And well, it's now September the 5th and already unification has been proclaimed in several major towns while hundreds of men have gathered to march on Plovdiv. Battenberg and Karavelov are frantically trying to decide how to respond. Now, the Eastern Rumelian government itself is also trying to decide, well, how to respond to all these events. It asked the Russian consul whether they should proclaim union, but they were told no. As a result, they decided to order the arrest of the armed units mobilizing around the country. However, the military in Eastern Rumelia had its own ideas. On September the 5th, militia units from Eastern Rumelia took over Plovdiv and the resident of the state's governor general, the recently appointed Gavril Krasovich. He agreed not to oppose the coup because, well, he supported unification, and so he was taken to Sofia to spend some time under a comfortable house arrest. 
it's a bit funny. You, you imagine this, like basically there's a coup against you and you're like, no, this is cool. Like I, I wanted this anyways. You guys do your thing. <laughs> I get it. I, I'm not sure how many times that's happened in history, but I found it very amusing. But anyways, this allowed the military to proclaim unification from Plovdiv and to put in place a new temporary government to make it happen. This new government was headed by Georgi Stransky, a close friend of Botev from the same town of Kalofor and the head of the Liberal Party in Eastern Rumelia. Now, he immediately set about mobilizing the entire Eastern Rumelian military and the state to prepare for the possibility of armed intervention by the Ottomans, who were massing troops at the border at this point. That same day, the BSCRC officially dissolved itself after less than a year of existence as it decided its main goal had been achieved. Which is interesting. I mean, they also wanted unification with Macedonia, but I, I guess they decided to, you know, declare the win and call it a day. With Eastern Rumelia now firmly in control of pro-unification forces, Karvelov and Battenberg both had their hands forced. Stransky sent a telegram to Battenberg requesting he accept union and the prince decided to support it, sending a telegram to the Tsar asking for support and traveling to Ternovo where the National Assembly was meeting. The day after the new government in Plovdiv was declared, Battenberg, Stambolov, and Karvelov were all in Ternovo and had all decided to support unification. Initially, Karavelov was against unification and planned to send Stambolov to Plovdiv to calm the situation, but by this point, people were chanting support for him and unification in the streets of the medieval city, and, well, it was clear that there was no going back. Having made this decision, Karavelov gave a speech to the National Assembly, which ended with, quote, This year Thrace, next year Macedonia, end quote. Now, the prince had been presented with a choice by Stambolov, who said, quote, Your Highness, before you, there are two paths. One leads to the Danube and then to Darmstadt, the second through the Valley of Roses to Plovdiv. We the people await you here in order to place on your head a wreath symbolizing the impressible wish to see union, end quote. And well, to this, the prince could only respond, quote, I choose the road to Plovdiv. And if God loves Bulgaria, may he protect me and her, end quote. So for some context, you know, I guess Darmstadt, I think, is where uh, Battenberg was from, or at least where he would likely go into exile. So it's exile or unification. Those are your choices. Karavelf issued proclamations, officially calling the National Assembly into session and mobilizing the Bulgarian army, as by now the danger of military intervention by the Ottomans, even the Greeks or the Serbs, or really the great powers were all potential options. And so, well, they had to be prepared for anything. The next day, September the 8th, Prince Alexander Battenberg issued an official proclamation of unification. It stated, quote, We, Alexander I, by the grace of God and the national will, prince of the two Bulgarias, both northern and southern, I bring to the knowledge of my well-beloved people that on the 6th of this month, the population of the province called Eastern Rumelia, after deposing the government which hitherto exercised authority therum, and after forming a provisional government, declared the union of Eastern Rumelia and the principality, and unanimously proclaimed me prince. End quote. Shortly after issuing this proclamation, the prince cabled the sultan and assured him that Bulgaria would remain a loyal Ottoman subject once unified, i.e. please don't invade us. 
and afterwards Battenberg headed for Plovdiv with Karavelf and Stambolov in tow. Unsurprisingly, they were met with ecstatic crowds in Shipka, Kazanluk, and Karlovol as they gradually made their way south. But what did Russia think of all of this? Remember that since the Turnival constitution was reinstated, Russian officials in Sofia had been kept on a much shorter leash to prevent the kind of disjointed actions which so badly hampered Russian policy before. However, while this was true, it was only really true in Sofia. This did nothing to ensure that Russian officials in Plovdiv would be on the same page. Indeed, a Russian journalist operating in Eastern Rumelia noted that the consulates in Sofia and Plovdiv had never, quote, received from the Ministry of Foreign Affairs a political program or general instructions, end quote. So, yeah, R Russia had managed to get itself a more consistent policy in Sofia, but uh, that didn't seem to help them very much. As a result, Russian officials in Sofia were staunchly anti-Battenberg and anti-unification, which also made them pro-Karavelov, at least until he joined with Battenberg in supporting unification. Their colleagues across the border and Plovdiv held precisely the opposite views. Now, that same day, that same journalist, rather, uh, wrote of the situation, quote, Having no categorical instructions and utterly unknowing of Russia's plans, the Sofia consulate never acted together with the Plovdiv one. To the point that one might think that these were not two diplomatic agents of one and the same state, but the representatives of two different countries. Often, when passions, personal conflicts, and competitions overflowed, utterly opposed to one another. End quote. So, you know, Russia thought it had gotten, you know, gotten kind of made to address that issue of kind of disjointed diplomatic policies, but really, no, they, they, they did not. They still don't have a consistent policy. So while the Tsar was withdrawing Russian officers and condemning unification, his agents were just all over the place, with some openly condemning it alongside him, while others openly proclaimed Russia's approval of unification. Amidst this chaos, it's also unsurprising that Russia was really caught off guard by unification. Now, Russia had several reasons to oppose all of this. First, it created a rift in the Three Emperors League, which was so vital to their foreign policy at the moment. Next, as I mentioned last time, Russia was at this moment focused on expansion in Central Asia and the possibility of war with Britain over that expansion. And lastly, unification went against the Treaty of Berlin, which opened up the Eastern Question all over again, and the prospect of an Ottoman invasion and just fresh chaos in the Balkans was just not a welcome development. When the prince, Stambolov, and Karavelov arrived in Plovdiv, they were met by Chiganov, the local Russian agent. And that same Russian journalist described the meaning. Quote, the prince slept in an armchair. In a similar chair slept the first minister. Upon the arrival of our military agent, the prince was awakened. Seeing Chiganov, the prince rushed to greet him and cried out, God has sent you to me. What is the news out of Russia? Chiganov answered that he himself had been hoping to ask the prince about what orders he had from his imperial majesty. The prince noted that he had sent a telegram but did not receive an answer before departing for Rumelia, and therefore expected that our military agent would convey to him the views of our government. In other words, of Mr. Chiganov, it was only now, for the first time, that suspicions arose that this matter had was being conducted without us, i.e. the Russians." End quote. Okay, so in other words, 
everyone's just slowly realizing, wait a minute, th- there isn't a consistent Russian policy. And it seems that the prince at least hoped that Russia might support things, but no one really knows what's going on. So absent any instructions from St. Petersburg, Chiganov supported Battenberg and unification. Battenberg, for his part, visited the local Orthodox cathedral and the local mosque to rally support for the union from both major religious groups. But, well, when is Russia going to say what it thinks? Evidently, during the first few days of the unfolding unification, the Tsar was visiting family in Copenhagen. Without him, as we've seen, many Russian officials and newspapers praised unification. However, once the Tsar returned to St. Petersburg, well, I'll quote Rekun, who wrote that, quote, Tsar Alexander III's fury at the unification knew no bounds, end quote. I thought that summed it up pretty well. He was absolutely furious. Considering Battenberg had very recently reassured the Russian foreign minister that unification was not imminent, and then it happened immediately afterwards, the Tsar felt betrayed. The foreign minister, for his part, also felt completely betrayed by Battenberg, and felt that the foreign minister, his reputation was at stake because it now looks like he'd been lied to and basically tricked by Battenberg. As a result of all of this, on the same day the prince entered Plovdiv, the Tsar made his anger known over the unification by withdrawing all Russian military officers from Bulgaria. Everyone, from the Minister of War on down, had to leave. In a single stroke, Bulgaria was deprived of its entire military leadership above the rank of captain, just when it seemed that danger of invasion was more pressing than ever. The British ambassador in Constantinople that noted that, quote, having paid the Russian officers like princes during six years, they, the Bulgarians, were now abandoned by them in their hour of need, end quote. The Tsar believed that Bulgaria would essentially crumble into anarchy without the presence of these Russian officials. In effect, Russia was now simply stating that not just that it opposed unification, but that it was willing to allow Bulgaria to be occupied by whichever power was able to get there first. It seemed the Tsar was convinced that this would force Battenberg to reverse course. However, in this belief, the Tsar was badly mistaken. Battenberg suggested that if the Russian officers were going to leave the moment there was a risk of war, then Bulgaria was better off without them. An understandably snarky remark. Plus, now that the army was entirely in Battenberg's hands, he had absolutely no rival for authority and loyalty. Many of the Bulgarians in the army themselves were relieved to finally have space to advance in rank. As Rekun put it, quote, By withdrawing the officers, Tsar Alexander III managed to simultaneously remove his most powerful tool of influence from Bulgaria, cede control of the military to Battenberg, and turn the Bulgarian people against him when years of Russian miscues in the country had not managed to do so. The Russian stand was a disaster on any number of levels. End quote. The British agent in Sofia put his own thoughts on the situation in a private letter, which I will read at length because, well, it's got some good insights. He wrote, quote, Since my return here, I have been very much struck by the complete change that has taken place. Since Prince Alexander has become universally popular and the Russians universally detested, his highness, by placing himself at the head of the movement, has gained the hearts of all the Bulgarians, who will certainly resist to the very utmost of their power any attempt to either destroy the Union or to dethrone his highness. 
As regards the country, therefore, his highness's position is a very strong one. Of course, for some time, he will find himself in a most difficult position with regards to the powers who, however, do not seem to have come to any understanding as to the course they are to follow. The Russians here are open-mouthed against the prince, and their violent abuses of his highness is doing much to destroy the very little influence they still enjoy here. Their anger is intelligible, because, well, they have been entirely mistaken as to what has taken place. How far they are aware of the movement before it took place is difficult to say, but it is evident that they believed that as soon as it was known to the emperor that the emperor disapproved of the movement, the Bulgarians would have deserted the prince and left his highness in a lurch. They were amazed that this was not the case, that on the contrary, Prince Alexander's popularity, if possible, increased. They then thought that by recalling their officers, the army would be incapacitated from marching, and here again they were deceived. And it is really admirable that the army, deprived as it was of its officers, marched into eastern Rumelia without the slightest disorder or confusion. End quote. Long story short, the Russians messed up. Now, the Bulgarian army was rushing to the Ottoman border, again anticipating a potential invasion. Many Bulgarians eagerly signed up to the army, expecting the same. Some even urged Battenberg to preemptively declare war on the Ottomans with the expectation that Greece, Serbia, and Montenegro would join in. However, this was a dramatic misreading of the response of Bulgarians' Balkan neighbors. So, how was the world at large reacting to the fast-coming news of unification? Well, Russia met with its two allies, Germany and Austria-Hungary, and the three agreed that unification should be undone and everything should be returned to the way it was before. However, while there was a lot of support for this, only the Ottomans were willing to actually go to war to make this happen. And, well, despite the hesitation that they would be drawn into a conflict so soon after that disastrous war against Russia, as well as concerns on the Ottomans' part for over possible revolts in Albania and Macedonia. But none of the great powers were about to allow an Ottoman invasion, and therefore the expansion of Ottoman power in the Balkans. So, essentially, everyone was at a bit of an impasse. Britain, for its part, actually reversed its previous position and supported unification. Now, this makes some sense, as their previous opposition was centered around wanting to prevent a Russian-dominated, powerful Bulgaria dominating the region, and, well... As it should be obvious, that was no longer in the cards. And so this was actually now a chance for them to, with a single stroke, vastly improve their image and influence in Bulgaria. Now, despite Greeks only making up about 5% of the population of Eastern Rumelia, according to its 1885 census, Greece, for its part, saw Eastern Rumelia as part of its traditional territory and therefore responded to unification by partially mobilizing their army and stationing troops on the Ottoman border to, per to kind of pressure Constantinople for more territorial concessions. Now, Serbia, for its part, was even more furious. It had recently signed a secret agreement with the Austro-Hungarian Empire four years earlier, which gave Serbia free reign well, sorry, which gave the Austro-Hungarians free reign in Bosnia and Herzegovina in exchange for Serbia to have free reign to expand south into Macedonia. Now, seeing Bulgaria become larger and more powerful gravely threatened these ambitions. As a result, Serbia too responded by demanding territorial compensation, specifically Vidin, Trun, and Radomir, to preserve the balance of power, while, of course, it also mobilized its army. 
Basically, Romania was the only fellow Balkan state to really have no problem with Bulgaria's unification. So at this moment, Russia, Serbia, and Greece disapprove. Austria-Hungary is kind of indifferent, while Britain and Romania are supportive. Britain joined France and Italy to call for a conference in Constantinople to resolve the conflict and avoid war. But while all these events were getting underway, Battenberg was establishing himself in this new order, replacing the recently created temporary government in eastern Romalia with a princely commission, as well as imposing martial law. A Bulgarian diplomatic delegation was also dispatched to go speak with the leaders of various capitals and gain their support, beginning with Copenhagen, where the Tsar was still visiting his relatives. The Bulgarian delegation was warmly greeted by Alexander III. Now, they hoped that by pleading their case without mentioning Prince Alexander, they still might be able to mend relations and gain Russian support. Both the Tsar and his foreign minister expressed frustration that unification was done so hastily and without seeking their support first. The minister even dropped a hint that Bulgaria might soon be threatened by Serbia for its actions. Ultimately, however, the Tsar recognized the reality of the situation, stating simply, quote, There can be no question now of disillusion. End quote. So, that delegation came away feeling that reconciliation might just be possible. But how, well, that part wasn't as clear. Ivan Geshov at this point broke off from the delegation to travel to London and kind of feel out how things were there. He soon learned that British support was conditional. Britain wanted to support Battenberg and unification while avoiding war in order to ensure a Bulgarian break with Russia. Further diplomatic activities in Vienna and Paris secured similar statements of either conditional support or hesitation to take a firm stance for the time being. More trips also allowed Bulgarian representatives to speak to foreign press and to encourage more positive coverage, as well as to gather donations from Bulgarian businessmen abroad. Meanwhile, Battenberg himself was also engaged in diplomacy with King Milan of Serbia, assuring him that Bulgaria was friendly and had peaceful intentions. However, he also warned that Bulgaria was indeed ready for war to protect unification. As Serbia made war its own kind of war preparations, Alexander resolved to send a diplomat to discuss the matter personally. However, King Milan refused to see him. All of Serbia seemed suddenly swept up in the moment as newspapers were demanding King Milan march into Macedonia. The king and the prime minister both saw Bulgaria as now an easy target, with a letter stating that Serbia, quote, could not possibly look on with indifference to a sudden doubling of the size of Bulgaria. Serbia could not and would not stand any such arrangement detrimental to her own interests, end quote. Thus, on September 9th, the same day Russia withdrew its military officials, King Milan called for a meeting of his cabinet and decided to convene the parliament in Nish near the Bulgarian border. They quickly approved the order to mobilize the army, as I mentioned earlier. Only four days after the Serbian parliament finished its work, the first fighting began as some Serbian troops crossed the Bulgarian border at Trun. This, however, was a limited engagement and not a full-scale invasion. Bulgaria's leaders still saw the greatest threat coming from the Ottomans and focused their attention there. Thus, as October dawned, Battenberg issued a decree calling on Eastern, the Eastern Rumelian militia to join the Bulgarian army in mobilizing unification. 
Later in the month, the Bulgarians accepted a statement of the representatives of the great powers in Plovdiv, which urged them to accept unification and not separate the Bulgarian people again. The great powers, however, were still planning a conference in Constantinople to discuss the matter. Representatives of Russia, Germany, Austria-Hungary, France, Great Britain, Italy, and the Ottoman Empire met in the Ottoman capital on October the 24th. Again, the great irony was that while nine years previously Russia had been advocating for that larger San Stefano Bulgaria while Britain fervently opposed it, the roles were now more or less reversed. Russia now demanded strict adherence to the Treaty of Berlin, while Great Britain defended the personal union under Battenberg, i.e. the idea that Eastern Romania and Bulgaria would remain separate states for now, but operate under a single sovereign, which, if you'll remember, is exactly how Romania basically unified. So now, really, only Russia and the Ottomans strongly opposed unification. But the Ottomans were lukewarm because they felt they couldn't act without British approval. They really wanted Britain to be sort of friendly towards them. And by this point, it was clear that British public opinion would be tremendously hostile to Ottoman soldiers entering Bulgaria again after all those reports about the horrors of the last war. Ultimately, after much wrangling, the great powers could only agree on a joint statement condemning the revolt which had caused unification, but they really couldn't agree on anything more concrete than that. But while Greece was by this point convinced to kind of stand down and give up its claims for more territory, Serbia, they weren't having it. On November the 2nd, Serbia declared war on Bulgaria. For the 14th time, and for the first time in 555 years, the two Balkan states were at war. Up to this point, Serbia was 6 for 8 for wins and losses against Bulgaria, so Bulgaria had a slight advantage. But Bulgaria, well, at this point, Serbia had a larger army facing a much smaller force, robbed of its officers, and currently rushing headlong to meet a presumed enemy in the opposite direction. In other words, the Serbs were understandably quite confident that they were about to knock up another win against Bulgaria. And next time, we'll see what's going to happen. Catch you then. This episode was written and produced by me, Eric Halsey. The theme music, as always, was written and performed by the talented Teddy Raven. Check out the Bulgarian language version of the podcast, which hopefully we'll get back to at some point, at bghistorypodcast.com. And check out the accompanying blog post of this episode for all kinds of good stuff like a timeline, which is always very helpful. And I'll see you guys in the next one.